Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. This show has been pre-recorded on Saturday, February 12th, to be rebroadcasted on Monday, February 15th, 2021 at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Live in Austin, Texas on KOOP 91.7 FM and streaming live at coop.org. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 43rd post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Pedro Gatos and bringing light into darkness Monday news and analysis since we began broadcasting on co-op radio in 2002 has been investigating and seeking to present genuine truth-seeking perspective to U.S. foreign policy impacts around the world, as well as other preventable human-generated behavior that creates or increases human misery in the world. Over the past 18 years, our record speaks to the veracity of our reporting. The impact of U.S. foreign policy in the world, on the world, population, is unrivaled in reach and in impact. Our presumption is that the U.S. population is a compassionate and social justice-driven people that if we know the truth of the matter, we support policies that promote the most fair and democratic outcomes. The problem is too often we are misinformed by our government and our mainstream media. Therefore, this show is dedicated to critically evaluating all information before accepting it as believable and as worthy for becoming the foundation for building our worldview understandings upon. Tonight our focus is on Black History Month The Bringing Light Into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis, 2021, Black History Format, schedules four shows to themes associated with what created the conditions for Black Lives Matter to materialize. We continue our series of shows on Black History with a focus tonight on gender inequality, race, and oppression. Enjoy. Uh, welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is Bringing Light into Darkness. Monday News and Analysis is your host, Pedro Gatos. And we are speaking with two guests tonight on Friday night, February the 12th, the first day of Lunar New Year. And this show will be broadcast live on Monday, February the 15th at 6 p.m. So we hope you will be enjoying it right now as you're listening to a, a, a taped interview. What I wanted to share, we've been starting our Black History work, at least on this show, with the last Monday of January. Celebrating Dr. King's birthday, and more importantly, we pay tribute to Dr. King's really important speech on the Vietnam Silence's Betrayal speech. And then we followed up with a couple of shows, one on the state of Black America, relative to white America, 
through three different eras of black history and oppression, namely the slavery period, the Jim Crow period, and what we call the modern day forms of discrimination period straight up to today. Uh, we also examine the shocking findings of a January 25th, 2021 Oxfam report that was entitled The Inequality Virus, which details economically how COVID-19 had the result of being a cash cow for the less than 1% and a disastrous wealth redistribution away from and relative to the rest of the world. And then last week, we shifted our attention to documenting how black airmen responsible for the most dangerous positions within the United States World War II Air Force missions, namely as fighter pilots, incurred a two-front war one against Nazi Germany and the second against the longest war in U.S. history, namely the war on racism. We had as special guest a replay of a 2007 interview with Charles Chenier. He was one of the last Tuskegee Airmen still alive at the time, and he gave a chilling and insightful vision of segregation and mistreatment of some of our real American heroes, the Tuskegee Airmen. We also included last week highlights of a history of the New Deal Social Security Program and the post-war GI Bill program and how it disproportionately benefited whites over black with the effect of furthering the great racial wealth divide during the Jim Crow era and right up through the uh, 1970s. So we've been studying the meaning of systemic racism as the translation into the mistreatment of blacks and, and other people of color in comparison to whites. A host of obstacles are faced by people of color that whites do not encounter at nearly the same intensity. This is what makes equality so elusive. And finally, what makes racism systemic racism are the built-in obstacles that face blacks that result in less life expectancy, higher incarceration rates, higher infant mortality rates, just to highlight only a few of the quality of life indices that measure how far we are from equality for all. Along the way, we have dispelled myths such as blacks just need to get better educated to close the racial wealth gap. By citing work from uh, William Darity and Derek Hamilton and their co-researchers in 2015 article and report, Umbrellas Don't Make It Rain, why studying and working hard isn't enough for black Americans, in which they document that in 2015, which was President Obama's last full year in office, quote, black families whose heads of households graduated from college have about 33% less wealth than white families whose heads dropped out of high school. At every education level, blacks are twice as likely to be unemployed compared to their similarly educated white peers. Equally educated head of households, African-American head of households, have remarkably different income and wealth profiles than, than Anglos. And that is because of systemic racism. And we've shown that blacks generally save their resources at higher rates than whites for like savings and those types of things. So there's a whole false science that we've been dispelling that surround myths that rationalize these profound inequities that African-Americans don't perhaps work as hard, they're not as motivated, and what we've shown is that's not the case at all. We've, we've also shown that over the last four decades, white youth use drugs such as cocaine at, at a higher rate, yet blacks and people of color get more often arrested, get more often convicted, and serve longer prison sentences. And we've shown how blacks and other 
people of color are overrepresented in the types of jobs that put them at greater risk of contracting COVID-19. They live in households that are more often multi-generational, are less likely to have a job that allows them to work from home. They are more likely to have pre-existing health conditions, making them more vulnerable to the consequences of COVID if they contract the disease and have more limited access to health care. And in addition to that, they have less access to vaccines that are being made available to the public at a very, very slow rate. So we have dispelled these falsehoods and primary reason for these conditions does not have to do with lack of initiative or desire or what is necessary to succeed. We have shown that it instead is what Malcolm and Dr. King would describe as a systemic problem. Dr. King said it was the edifice that needed restructuring. The system needed restructuring. We needed a radical change in values from a thing-oriented to a people-oriented society. Malcolm was more blunt and to the point that the system itself was predatory, vulturistic, essentially saying the same thing that it was a systemic problem, uh, a system incapable of delivering a comfortable quality of life that the vast majority was increasingly being distanced from. And this is the essence of systemic racism, and both MLK and Malcolm uh, both came to the realization that systemic racism was no more or no less than spawned from systemic oppression and its economic health, housing, and social injustices. So these are the assumptions that we start with today. We have proven them, citing their sourcing on previous shows that you can access by contacting Bringing Light Into Darkness and encourage you to do so. So today we examine gender oppression in this kind of matrix of issues and the social determinants attached to its uh, expression. I wanted to first welcome our guest. First, I wanted to, to introduce and welcome Amanda Hasso. Amanda, welcome to Bringing Light Into Darkness. Thanks, Pedro, for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, um, Amanda has served as a program manager at the City of Austin Equity Office for the past two and a half years. And prior to that, she serves as a Latinx community archivist at the Austin History Center. Ms. Hasso is part of a team responsible for working with city leadership and communities to create a racial equity framework and facilitate dialogue and organizational practices that support the development and the adoption of equity as a shared value. She holds a Master's of Information Science from the University of Washington and a Bachelor's at the University of Pennsylvania, and we will return to her accomplishments later in the show. I also wanted to welcome Kelly Coleman. Uh, Kelly, welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness. Thanks. It's nice to be here, Pedro. Well, let me just briefly introduce Ms. Coleman. She has over 18 years of equity and social justice community organizing experience, integrating media and popular education and strategies for social change. In 2008, she co-founded the uh, Vibrant Women Mamasana Prenatal Clinic, a, a project of Mamas of Color Rising that provides holistic and culturally specific prenatal care birth companions, midwifery services, prenatal fitness, and nutrition services to lower-income black and Latina folks here in the Austin area. She's also, Kelly, that has facilitated the Austin Public Health Department's community health workers training focused on health equity issues impacting black women in Austin, Texas, and has conducted original research on the social determinants of health as they impact black women locally. So welcome to both of you. It's a real honor to have such established and real community activists. 
anybody can analyze a problem. The people out there actually trying to transform the reality for the people that are victims of it is where the real rubber hits the road. So thank you both so much. I thought I would just start off by asking, we're trying to examine a little bit about, you know, kind of the gender oppression side and the and the social determinants attached to its expression. And, and Kelly, let me ask you first, I mean, this project of Mamas of Color Rising, can you talk a little bit about that project and how it addressed many of the problems that someone that is like myself would never face? Sure. So actually that project has roots at, on, on co-op. So years ago, my friend Jeanette Monsalve and I had a show called Mommies of Color and on co-op. I remember that. And so we we basically, you know, took our experience as, as mothers and trying to survive in Austin and um, started organizing around it. And um, what we really saw was that birth experiences really impact how you relate to yourself, how you relate to your child, how you relate to just being a human being, right? Um, it can really change people. And so we wanted to, to make that experience the best that it could be for folks who otherwise may not have great access to healthcare. And so um, we did several surveys, spent hours in welfare offices because we were all on Medicaid and um, welfare ourselves. And sometimes you have to spend, you know, four, six hours waiting on an appointment, interviewing folks, asking about people's experiences. And it just happened to be that people's birth experiences seem to be the deepest experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so we started to do work around that. We all became doulas and started providing all volunteer support to pregnant folks of color in, in, in the city. And as we did that work, one of us ended up becoming a midwife. And um, we actually pushed and organized to try and shift some of the dollars that had traditionally gone to organizations that were led by white folks but are, were serving poor and working class people of color. We were trying to shift some of those dollars to the folks um, in the community who were directly impacted by systems and get them to provide services too. And in that, we were able to get, get our organization some dollars from the health equity funding that ended up becoming available. So that's how we were able to actually fund that project and we didn't even, Mama Sonic became a nonprofit like in 2018, maybe 2019, because for so long we had been a collective, right? We weren't a nonprofit until more recently. So were you staffed with nursing experience as well? And did you like develop relations with women early in their pregnancies and follow them through that path to giving birth or was it more kind of at birth that much of your services were rendered? We did. We worked with some nurses. Like we had a relationship with the nursing school. That's actually who our fiscal sponsor was mm -hmm. um, at the time. But mostly what we provided was we, we call them birth companions. Mm -hmm. um, so they're like um, they're like doulas or where you provide physical and um, emotional support to um, someone prenatally during birth and then postpartum. Mm -hmm. And so um, we would try to get folks in as early as we could and then also provide support postpartum and then try to keep people involved as well, even after, you know, their babies are big. And so when you 
mentioned, I was reading a little bit about your work and things such as prenatal fitness and, and the nutrition services and, and those types of things. So this is really pretty revolutionary kind of concept. I mean, it's pretty much common sense, but it just mm-hmm. it's not done <laughs> in our country. But you're, you're actually working with the, the, the women that are pregnant to get them in, in as best physical shape on behalf of for them and their unborn child, I, I presume, and then what, trying to not just tell them what to eat, but actually getting them connected to nutritional services. Is that right? Yeah. So this, so the the premise of around that is really about. So in our experience, we know that a lot of times pregnant folks aren't usually taking. It's a time when people are supposed to take care of themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And it's okay to take care of yourself. In a lot of our communities, we're taking care of everyone else, right? Right. And we're not t- spending a lot of time taking care of ourselves. And we were trying to normalize self-care, right? Mm-hmm. And also, um, a lot of times, um, these programs are created to um, change people's behaviors as individuals. And what we wanted to do was to build solidarity around and, and normalize that it's hard, right? Like, it's not that these pregnant folks didn't know they were supposed to eat healthy or didn't know they were supposed to exercise or maybe not smoke cigarettes and maybe not be stressed, right? They know that. Mm-hmm. It's just hard, right? Like, Big if time. you don't have money, if you don't have transportation, if you already have several, you know, a few kids, if you're caring for other adults in your family, you know, it's not easy to set aside time to meditate to go to prenatal yoga, right? And so what we did was we just, we we put it all together. So, you know, if you couldn't get to where we were doing a class, we would figure out a way to get you there, right? Mm -hmm. You get there, there's stuff for your kids to do. So there's children's activities, right? We also would eat together. We'd prepare a meal together and then we'd eat together. So it's not like I'm expecting you to go home and recreate something that you didn't have a chance to like, to taste and, you know, figure out and have fun and, and building community and, and talking and, you know, uh, breaking bread together too, right? That's mm-hmm. how you, how you connect to folks. And so that, that was a huge piece of it. And, and then also, you know, learning about each other. I think a big piece of it too, is that people a lot of times think that they're alone, you know, well, why I just can't get it together. You know, something must be wrong with me. So when you're sitting around in a group of 10 moms and everybody's struggling with the same thing, it ain't just you, mm-hmm, right? right? Then you start to build, you know, you start to build an analysis around the systems that we're in, in coming into contact with, right? And and maybe it's less about us as individuals and more about these systems that we have to navigate that are built to not do great jobs, that are not built for us, right? Right, right. Or basically they're, they're built and they're doing exactly what they're meant to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's really uh, what we were trying to do, and we were really good at it, I think. Um, now it's, I think it's a little less, maybe a little less political, because when we were all volunteer, we definitely were talking about what people were going through, right, in a, in a more um, political way. But I think as, you know, as we became funded, there was less of that. Yeah, it seems that, that's one of the sad ironies about oppression is that 
women or anyone that's oppressed, they tend to internalize their situation based on their own perceived poor choices or lack of, you know, of actions. And when in fact, what you should learn is that the obstacles that you overcome as a single mom and one that's challenged financially and those types of things are things that most people that pass judgment on, on, on people never, never experience. So I guess when you see it, and you see the strength of other other people rising to the occasion, and then and then I guess learning different skill sets that help you uh, provide for your family, you know, as best that you can. That's got to be a very a, a very rewarding experience to be, you know, to be part of that. Yeah, I mean, and we learn so much from these um, these families, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, was, it was really, and then we would try to keep folks engaged, and some folks came back and you know, would work or volunteer or became birth companions themselves and supported births as well, right? Mm-hmm. So we weren't in the business of trying to, like, you know, make people dependent upon us or, you know, have this paternalistic, problematic relationship or think we were saving folks, mm-hmm. right? We were trying to build power with the women and the and the families um, and the pregnant folks that came through our, 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 our program. So That's really what it, it, we were trying to do. That's what it sounds like. It's a transference of skill sets that people can then use to promote their own interests mm-hmm. a- a- as opposed to, you know. Just, it's similar, right, to yeah, like what yeah. the Panthers did um, mm-hmm. with the free, the free um, breakfast program. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just any of their health programs that they um, that they created, right? Like, I mean, that we, this ain't new. What we were doing isn't, isn't, super, isn't, isn't really new. And I mean, but the outcomes for black babies um, and moms are, there's a, definitely some huge disparities, but honestly, white women aren't doing that great in the United States either when it comes to, to birth and, and maternal health outcomes. Absolutely. Yeah, the rates, when you look at, there's a thing called the Organization for Economic Development Nation, the OECD, the top 35 nations. And, you know, we have all the wealth in the world, but we're like at the bottom of all these indices that you're talking about. So, right. uh, you know, so it's not just women and people of color. There's, you know, huge amounts of, of, of white people that are having very similar issues. And in fact, I would argue that's that's basically how Trump became president. Everyone's just yeah. living paycheck to paycheck and saying, wait a minute, wealth inequality has been incredibly skewed and it continues to get skewed every every year, whether it's, you know, a progressive Democratic president or a Republican president, and we're being taken for a ride here and, and uh, that type of thing. You know, when you were speaking about these skill sets and stuff and the, the kind of heroic women, there was this report that put out in January a year ago, January 2020 by by Oxfam, and, it's, and it was called Time it was basically about unpaid unpaid labor time to to women right and and how much we put towards the gdp all that yeah. all that unpaid um labor right unpaid right so time mm-hmm. it, it said it didn't just say it documented okay this is science it documented that the world's 22 richest men back in that january 2020 had more money than all the women in africa said women's women and girls put in 12.5 billion hours of unpaid work every day. Talking about fetching, this is worldwide, fetching firewood and water so they can clean and cook for the male breadwinner to looking after children and the elderly. 
Every day, women and girls around the world work to combine. This is daily. 12.5 billion hours per day for free. Oxfam said global inequality is, quote, it is out of control. At the bottom of the economy, talking about the world economy, women and girls, especially the disenfranchised, are putting 12.5 billion hours every day of care work for free and countless more for poverty wages, according to Oxfam. And again, this is the Oxfam report entitled Time to Care, Unpaid and Underpaid Care Work and the Global Inequality Crisis, Even It Up by Oxfam Report of January 2020. Think about that for a second. 12.5 billion hours of labor for free. Where is the wealth that's being generated from that unpaid labor going to? Well, it's going to the top 1%. This is what the whole Oxfam report is, is validating, that these people are not paying proper taxes. They're making a killing during the COVID virus. The most recent Oxfam report shows that part of that killing comes from the fact that 12.5 billion hours of labor for free is being generated by the most disenfranchised women of the world every day. That is just one characteristic of systemic oppression that is kept from public view. And, and they, they calculated, Oxfam did, that that unpaid work labor came out to $10.8 trillion, trillion dollars, sure. okay? And, and so more important, or not more important, but you think about all of the the loss of life from famines and from lack of water and preventable diseases. And if you don't factor in what women do throughout the whole world, that number would be astronomically higher, but it just does not ever get that type of, uh, of coverage. But listen, we need to take a quick break for the cause. We want to remind you that this is 91.7 on the FM dial, streaming live at KOOP.org, your premier community radio station of the nation. This is bringing light into darkness, Monday news and analysis. This is your host, Pedro Gatos, with my guests, Amanda Hasso and Kelly Coleman. We will return to our analysis of the Oxfam report and the ongoing conditions of women throughout the world after this brief pause. Stay tuned. <laughs> 